On this episode of the Peter Panda Podcast, I sit down with my East Coast homie, Waller Whittemore. Now let me just get way out ahead of this one and tell you right now that Waller's a recovering drug addict, currently working on his seventh year of sobriety. We're lucky to have Waller, and this tell-all conversation is proof that he probably shouldn't even be alive today. He'd be the first to tell you that his persistent family and his own raw passions for hunting, fishing, and surfing all helped save his life. I guess the formal verbiage is listener discretion advised, so let's just all stop right here for a second. This probably ain't the best episode to listen to with your young kids or your elderly parents. I just don't think that that's a good idea. This episode discusses topics of hard drug use, addiction, relapsing, and ultimately the continuous and complicated road to recovery. At the end of this episode, Waller encourages anyone listening who's struggling with or knows someone struggling with drug addiction to personally reach out to him for help. And he genuinely means it. I'll even help hold him to it and make sure that all you guys can find links to this kid's social through my own pages. So listen up. Shit's about to get pretty heavy. But fear not. Waller defeated the literal worst of odds, and this story has a beautiful ending. Life's better with dogs, man. I think it's weird when people don't have dogs. I would agree. It's a red flag. Yeah, it's a total red flag. And even the reddest flag is when people don't like dogs. Yeah, I agree. That's straight serial killer yep, status. I agree. Waller Whittemore. My homie. <laughs> um, you and I have the funniest story of how we became friends. When I was planning... My DIY seek a deer hunt in Maryland last year. You and I connected through the interwebs. Um, and you introduced yourself to me as a Virginia boy who had some interest in doing the same deer hunt I was fixing to go do in Maryland. And you offered to bring a boat up to Maryland. That would be correct. And that is how our paths crossed. You're like, it sounds like you're coming to do it, and you don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing, but I have a boat. I was like, cool. I have a, an Airbnb and a rental car, and uh, we should team up. And we did. And uh, I've spoken so highly of that hunt and of that trip ever since then. It was we, a good time. We, it was, man. We cut our teeth uh, hunting Dorchester County, Maryland, for a week together, bow hunting sika deer. And uh, we both we both got sika deer last year. You got a couple of them. You got a doe and a stag, or a, a stag, a hind, a hind. Yeah, I mean the stag. Like I was telling you earlier, I, I honestly thought it was a just a good hind because I couldn't see his horns. It was so thick. Turns out, <laughs> turns out, it was a boy. Yeah, it was a boy, and uh, well, he had little tiny spikes, but uh, delicious. You know, they are delicious. You've been eating on them in the last year? Oh, they're already dirty. They're gone. gone. Yeah, yeah, man. They're gone. Mine didn't last long either. No. But recently, I did. I turned up, I think it was a tenderloin or something in my freezer. How that got through the cracks and lasted that long, I have no idea. But those Sika deer are delicious. So we met uh, just total total blind date status. Yeah, I was surprised that um, you were willing to, well... Now that I know you, I'm not so surprised. <laughs> I've done it before too. I've gone up to guys that um, man, 
you know, gun shops and stuff. I have a buddy, one of my best friends now, introduced him to hunting, just talking, said he wanted to get into it. And yeah. I don't know. I really enjoy that part of it. I, uh, I have met some of my best friends and some of the most quality people through random chances and random occurrences, and uh, this was one of them. So we crossed paths, and we hunted together in Maryland, and uh, Krista and I just fell in love with you, and... Here we are back again on yep. the East Coast within a year. You were generous enough to invite us down here to your beach house. We are on the outer banks of North Carolina. Buxton, to be exact, the town. Where you know what keeps tripping me out? Every time I look at my map, I, it looks like I'm in the middle of the damn ocean. I mean, basically you are. I know. So if you're not familiar with the outer banks, there is a, a sliver of island, a chain of islands, uh, it's basically a glorified sandbar. It's a glorified sand. I mean, at times when you're traveling north and south out here, you can see salt water on both sides yep. of you. So you got the uh, Pamlico Sound. Uh, is that what it's side. called to our west? Yeah. So Pamlico Sound is in our general area, and then there's Albemarle, which is up a little bit farther north. Um, we crossed over that coming down here. Okay. On one of the many bridges. That was a that was a long night. We got in. We flew into Virginia. Like 10 p.m. We landed. We rallied down here. A three-hour. You picked us up. We rallied a three-hour car ride down to the house here. So we got here at 1 a.m. roughly. And then we were up at 3 a.m. to go out on a charter with uh, a good friend of yours. Captain John of the the blue chip, and uh, we went out deep sea fishing. You guys call it offshore fishing. Offshore fishing, you know, deep sea fishing. But when people talk about offshore, they're talking about running forty plus miles out into the Atlantic Ocean to the the drop off. Yeah, the continental shelf. Usually. Continental shelf. Um, and then you, that's where you kind of meet sections of the Gulf Stream and. Like we were talking on the boat, you know, you're kind of looking for that water break mm -hmm. where you get a little bit of that warmer water where the Gulf Stream meets uh, the, you know, more shelfy coastal waters. I couldn't have been like more out of my element. I'm not much of a fisherman to begin with and going 40 miles into the Atlantic Ocean and fishing for tuna and uh, mahi and marlin and everything we were targeting. Uh, it's just, I love doing new things that's what that's what brought me to maryland to hunt sika deer it was just totally new outdoor experience and this offshore fishing is yet again another totally new experience that i got to do with you it's pretty so i'm awesome. excited for you to come to montana um yeah i'm looking forward to it chase some cats maybe do an oh. elk hunt there's a lot to do and then that we'll dip your toes in montana and then we'll get you to alaska yeah run a trap line too yeah Definitely yeah do absolutely some of that. Well, uh, we're sitting down doing a podcast together because, not because you're one of my best buds, but because you've got an incredible story. And uh, we'll just, we'll put the cart before the horse right here. We're lucky to have you here today. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate. You are uh, a, is it comfortable calling you a recovering drug addict? Yeah, you can call me a recovering heroin addict if you want. <laughs> yeah, it's a little more accurate. Yeah, <laughs> to be exact. How long? How how long have you been sober? So I'm working on my seventh year. Good for you, man. Off all that, and um, 
I don't think I've had a beer in a little bit longer. That wasn't really my thing. So. No? God, I love that. No. Yeah, that's tough for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do the the hard stuff, but man, I really do love beer. So you're seven years. Almost. Uh, working on my seventh. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. Um, It's so interesting because you and I are the same age. And uh, I grew up in Ohio. You grew up on the East Coast. And we have so many things in common and similarities from our life. And... um you know, obviously being the same age and, uh, it's just interesting to compare our stories. Tell me about where you grew up. Tell me about your family, where you come from. So I'm from Virginia beach, Virginia. Shout out. Southeast, <laughs> southeastern corner of Virginia. Um, for guys that know I'm a, I'm a third generation waterfowl guy. It's really, really where I cut my teeth as far as hunting. Uh, my grandfather, um, kind of kicked it off for our family he started when he was real young and obviously introduced my father and then uh waterfowl hunting's huge here it is i feel it's, like it's a big is it which is comfortable saying uh it's it's more of a bigger cultural thing than even deer hunting here you know from my perspective i'd say that's accurate but it's really kind of all who you grew up with sure and the circle you're in I mean, whitetail's pretty... Boy, ain't that life. Pretty big, yeah. I mean, like I was telling you before, you get those dog guys, the dog deer hunters. That's huge. Um, that's so funny. Those guys not seem familiar, to go way back. People all across the Midwest and the East historically have hunted deer with dogs. Yep. And it's so funny because we spend so much of our time and energy training our dogs to do that, to not do that exact thing. Um, but yeah, deer hunting is a big thing with dogs around here still to this day it is uh they've tightened down i mean just like everywhere you know the dog thing is getting i feel bad it's it's uh it's going away it is yeah it's kind of that low-hanging fruit for uh people mm -hmm. to chip away at the hunting community yep, yep. But you grew up uh third generation duck hunter go, yep. go on with so that. actually where i grew up duck hunting if we took a boat from the sound where we're at here you could actually make it all the way north about 30 minutes from my house hmm. by boat in the sound turns into the curry tuck sound um and then goes up into back bay and that's where i uh really cut my teeth uh duck hunting with my dad we had a couple blinds up there and then we also owned some marsh down in the curry tuck um off knots island and they got that gosh i don't know 91 or something so as a kid, you were duck hunting with your dad? Yep, that was our big thing, uh, duck hunting in the winter and then surfing and fishing in the summer. Did yeah, a lot of diving, too. I watched you kite surf today. <laughs> yeah. That is nuts. It's a little wild. It seems it seems more wild that people aren't used to it than it actually is. But I'm confident that if you strapped that thing to me, I would still be sailing across the Atlantic Ocean right now <laughs> and just just figuring out... Oh, I wouldn't have let you die. <laughs> right. But, I mean, that's, that's a general, you know, thing. My whole family, I mean, it's just like any, whether you're talking about kite surfing or surfing or fishing or hunting, our whole lives, like everybody else who likes outdoors, is ruled by the weather conditions. Okay. And I was lucky enough to have a dad who really pushed me um, to get into all those different activities, exposed me to all of them. I mean, kite surfing was new. And he decided to get into it randomly and, and took me along with him when I was like 14. And no was, kidding. The sport was maybe two years old at that point. Yeah, this is kind of the, the headquarter. The yeah, one of the main meccas of it is Outer Banks, that, that and Maui. And then, um, you know, surfing, uh, that was probably more of 
my thing. I I liked enjoyed I enjoyed waterfowl hunting when I was younger, but I didn't really fall in love with it until later. I mean, early mornings, it's cold, duck weather is not I think like duck hunting's a tough sell for a kid. It can or be. a new a new hunter. It can be. Yeah, just between the little, cold the cold weather and the water and the early early mornings, it's a tough sell. At least you can talk and you know you don't have to be That's quiet, true. but for too long. That's so true. It can be good for kids in that way. And he was real good. He, you know, gave me a BB gun probably when I was four. Um, and I'd shoot at the dead ducks that they had already <laughs> killed floating in the water. Take your turn. Killed nutrias with it uh, when those would swim by and. He kept me pretty motivated, and then uh, got a 410. Probably, gosh, I don't know. That was your first shotgun, 410. 410, yeah, single action. I want to get or one or break of those. action. Yep. Yeah, they're fun. Uh, dove hunting, uh, quail had kind of disappeared. Uh, by the time that I was really old enough to do hmm. that around here, and uh, we did a lot of snow goose hunting, a lot of field hunting. What would you say like surfing? uh maybe as a young kid were you more interested oh in absolutely that? yeah and I into mean, your I, adolescence yeah and it it um i mean shoot it's hard on the east coast to be if you're a dedicated surfer on the east coast with the lack of waves we get you either have to have you know be independently wealthy or have just a kind of a uh, Mo- money can't make a wave what do you mean oh <laughs> You got to have time to chase the waves, and that oh, okay. entails having see. a very lackadaisical job or no job at all. Yeah, I got you. Um, now, when I lived out west, it was. I was going to say you didn't you didn't stay here forever, so no. So but Virginia Beach, you grew up uh, heavy, heavily influenced by the outdoors with your father as a yeah. as a child, yeah. um, and yeah. then walked me into yeah, high so, school and into college. Um, I mean, you know, standard kind of high school thing. I think um, if I could start tracing back to where I guess you'd say my addiction issues would have started, um, you know, in, in school, at least when I was in, and they were doing the drug education thing, they tell you, you know, weed will kill you and this will kill you and all that stuff. Yeah. And then I smoked weed for the first time when I was, I don't know, 14 or something, or 15. Mm-hmm. It didn't kill me. That's pretty, that's pretty normal narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And then I was like, well, they must be full of shit. Oh, you, know. you threw the whole book out. Well, I was just like, well, if they're lied about this, then, you know, who knows what else. And uh, so fast forward a, a year or two. Um, 15, you know. 16, high, yeah, school, so, high school in Virginia Beach. I mean, when I started smoking weed, it was immediately almost every day. You were all in. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I used to smoke before I got surfing, before school. Were you drinking in high school? A little bit, but I just never really liked it. Um yeah, you've told me that before. That was never, uh, never, never your cup of tea. No, I'm more of a. Um, for some reason, alcohol with me, I kind of am the opposite of most people, where I actually shut down a little bit. I oh, get really? Real tired, um, and I don't get very social. Hmm. I like, uh, you know, just drains my energy for some reason. Well, really it drains quickly. everyone's energy, but for a short period in between, yeah, a lot of people <laughs> yeah. get a, a lot very outgoing. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. If I blended alcohol with something else sure a whole nother deal but um i don't know i just never really liked it um i thought that the other drugs that i was doing it was a little bit more high functioning i could you know you don't drink and go surf or drinking well actually you can drink in the duck line plenty of guys do that but yeah not um, not the not very smart thing to do so none of this was smart waller (laughs) that's true that's true so as a as a young teenager you you 
Start smoking weed. You start smoking weed every day. Yep, yep. And then I got introduced to yep, yep. Then I got introduced to the uh, the old jam band scene. Yeah, which is actually where we have a lot in common. I mean, again, we're the same age. And when you were when you were sixteen, I was sixteen. I got into jam bands too. Yep. And uh, to this day, we have a lot a lot of we share a lot of the same interests in music, the musical scene. Uh, But a lot of those music scenes came with a uh an unhealthy uh side crowd oh yeah i mean and it was innocent enough at first you start taking mushrooms and yeah. acid and then someone gives you some molly or ecstasy or all that stuff i went 100 percent on and you know cocaine all of it i would say i was a major abuser at that point where if you gave me a bag of something or whatever, it wasn't like I was going to save any of it. It was getting finished, and I was uh-huh. going to be going back for more pretty Pretty quickly. addictive personality. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I didn't see it, um, obviously, because most of the people I was with were doing the same thing. That's right. And, uh, we, you know, we I guess you'd say we were functioning. I was never good at school. I made it at high school fine. Um, but, you know, we started getting into college, and I definitely was Where'd you go to up. college? East Carolina University. Okay. What state's that in? It's in North Carolina. North Carolina. That's how I know so many guys down here. There's two Carolinas. You know that. So when you say East Carolina, it's not specific to one of the two. Right. Yeah. Right. I guess I always think North Carolina because you don't even consider South Carolina. I really don't that much, to be honest. Never. I never really spent a lot of time. Sure. So. um, So were you getting in trouble in high school? Mm. Skipping school and stuff occasionally. But nothing too out far from. No, I mean you're. It was all the weed, mushrooms, yeah. molly, acid, all that kind of stuff. But nothing nothing too super crazy. Um, or Sounds kind of crazy, but. <laughs> you know, I have to take a step back no. and sometimes realize hey. that, you know. Where where the story goes, it's. I think was, it's more relatable. Was, uh, some in JV general. activity. Yeah, exactly. And I think a, a lot of um, people can so relate to some of that. Was uh, pharmaceutical abuse a thing? for in the not for me early no it's interesting until college it wasn't uh it obviously a huge uh problem across the world and more specifically like the east coast of america and i feel like it's a little bit behind us maybe like it wasn't until i was going to college and beyond that i started hearing about this uh oxy yeah problem well, and really, that was there, that heyday. I think the reason why a lot of people don't think of it as much of an issue until later is because that was it was so. Um, there's a couple of good books on it, but it was. But really, the mountain towns, places in Appalachia, up and down the East Coast, that's where it really, really messes communities up the most. Hmm. And those were more, um, you know, a lot of real poor towns. But the the book. There's a book out, I can't think of the name, but it, it basically talks about how I think it was Purdue Pharma who made Oxycontin and they kind of released it out into that area for some reason. I, I don't know if it was because of some, I believe some of it had to do with some of the coal mining and a lot of the, a lot of the issues that those guys were having. And that's where it really hit hard first. Hmm. Um, and then. But that wasn't part of way. your your adolescence your your childhood no, like you, you weren't no. robbing the medicine cabinet oh, as no, a kid no i mean i would take them if someone had them but it wasn't like a huge thing I sure 
never you never go seek it when i was growing up if you asked for pills you were like that was like you hear someone asking for that you're like oh you're weirdo yeah exactly you're you're taking things too far exactly exactly so the um, only time i've done i luckily do not have an addiction to painkillers and the only time i've done (laughs) painkillers is post-surgery and i fucking hate them yeah see that's dude i it's just i don't like (laughs) i don't like the way they make me feel but back to your story you get into college going to east carolina you're partying you're you're experimenting with everything you can get your hands on um you're 18 19 years old yeah not you know just uh i was playing in a band um you know i probably thought i was a lot cooler than i was and trying to be that rock star whatever i don't know you turned the party and all yeah you know all that stuff so um about i guess it would be my late sophomore early junior year uh someone had that oxycodone roxy cotton it's uh i've heard that yeah i've heard that before and and uh you those ones are instant release and so you you could crush them and snort them and this was your introduction to opioids Mm -hmm. the big introduction yeah so and then once uh, i did one before a concert one night we went to trey anastasio band fish yeah well guitarist yep yep his his other side project so um i did one and i was like holy crap i have found it grabbed you i grabbed you by the throat huh i have found it and uh for me the opiates weren't like they don't act on me like they do a lot of people they give me energy they kind of almost give me focus in a way um and i mean you fell in love with the stuff oh yeah absolutely Right off the bat, I mean, literally after the first one, it was, where can I find more of these? Yeah, that's the that's kind of the narrative of the opiate, like, you know, love at first sight. A lot of people that go down this rabbit hole is like, I tried it once, and I never thought about it ever again. I was going down that road. I was sold, sold. Yep. That's, the be- that's the me I want to be. And the funny thing is, is, you know, fast forward a couple months, I remember running out of them, and I was like, okay, well, whatever. How do you, like, you didn't get a script for these? No, no, you can get them off the, everybody was getting them back then. They were around, huh? the Oxycontin had kind of gone away. I, when I started, I was on the tail end where they really started cracking down on that Oxycontin, and these other ones had come along, um, and, uh, so, you know, I ran out one day, um. Usually, like pretty quickly, you're you're into this stuff daily. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe like one or two a day, three a day, which really, compared to what it became, was not much. Um, but I actually, when I ran out the first time, I remember hearing about what withdrawal symptoms were. You know, you'd see it in the movies. You know, the sure, crack everybody's, everybody's heard of it. Yeah, everybody's heard of like yeah. You, you get see, sick you or... see the movies where the guys are shaking and throwing up and whatever and sweating and all that stuff and. I don't know. I didn't think anything of it. And I woke up one night after running out. I guess it had been about 16, 18 hours. And I'm shivering and my body hurts. And, you know, you have all this terrible anxiety and stuff. And I'm like, what is happening to me? Withdrawal. And I literally looked it up and I was like, what are withdrawal symptoms? You got a WebMD. Yeah. Like I ran out of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I ran out of opioids. Yeah, exactly. Why? What's going on? 
And it's funny, you would think that that would have been a wake-up call. But I was just like, huh, well, I guess I better get more, <laughs> you know. And so that train uh, basically kept on going to the point where, you know, I started um, really – I mean, it gets away from you so fast. It's wild. And I try and explain it to people. I, I talk some to parent groups, Al-Anon groups, which are parents and family affected by people. I didn't know you did that. Addiction. Yeah, I go to, my mom goes to a group. I talk to them usually, you know, twice a year. Talk to some high school kids as well. But, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, your normal. You didn't, you didn't even know things were spinning out of control well you start to figure it out because they're expensive too Hmm. and you got to find ways to get money and like i'll give you an instance is a good example so uh i was in our band i was the one who kind of kept all our band equipment straight and i put it all in my truck i was so hard up for money i threw a brick through my own truck window to pretend like it got stolen oh my goodness and i I took it all to the pawn shop and sold it whoa yeah and I mean, I, we had a pretty big, you know, like six people and we all had invested in it and, um, you know, we had some insurance on it. So it, uh, <laughs> we got it back, but that's the kind of crazy stuff you start doing. And I mean, that really compared to future things is, is really on the mellow side. So you still in college at this point? I am. How, how did you graduate college? No, I never finished. You didn't? No. I've. I, I should have never. I say this on. lovingly, but yeah. that, that doesn't surprise me. No, no, it shouldn't. Um, so when did you drop out of college? So at the same time, I was struggling, and um, I don't, I don't know why I thought this was a good idea, but um, I was all over the place at the time. But I bought a motorcycle one summer. That's a good idea. Yeah, right. No, terrible. Yeah, high as a kite, <laughs> and uh, I bought a motorcycle Harley, and. Um, I was actually about to go back down to school, and this is where things really get kind of kicked off into a little bit more extreme, but uh, I was taking one last ride before I went back to school, and I had some, like, opiate replacement therapy things I'd gotten off the street, which are basically, it's like methadone or suboxone, and you take it, and it keeps you from getting sick for a really long time. You're not trying to get clean. You're doing... I was going to try and get clean. Oh, you were? I was, but I was going to try and do it myself, which never works. To be honest, there's uh, of all the people who recover, which is very few. So the the good in you knew this was going bad. I was, you know, I told myself, but you lie to yourself all the time when you're like that. You tell yourself everything. Yeah, you, you can make lie a lot to yourself. Of, I mean, you can lie to every you lie to everybody and yourself constantly when you get to that point. So justify anything. Oh yeah. So I thought, you know, yeah, I'm gonna do my last ride. And of course, the caveat to this, I I saved a bunch of pills in my mm-hmm. closet. So I figured I'd go get clean, and then I just, you know, keep a couple to have fun with on a, a you know, special occasion. A recreational. Yeah. So, um, needless to say, I went on the motorcycle. I snorted one or two pills before I got on the bike. I ended up crashing. I snapped my femur. Um, oh. Yeah, I was going around a curve, and I. Now the doctor's gonna give you this shit. Oh yeah. Well, this work gets good. It's because oh, no. see, I, I, going around the curve. I was really lucky I didn't die. It was a pole. I remember. Coming around a curve, the back tire slipped uh, on something, and um, like it came off the side of the road. I was going too fast; I couldn't make the turn. And um, 
I tried to jump off the side of the bike into a bush, oh, and no. my foot got stuck on one of the pedals. And so the bike flipped and came down right on my left femur, snapped it in half, and oh. it was about as loud as a gunshot. You heard it break. Oh, yeah. Ugh. And it vibrated through my whole body. It was wild. And um, didn't hurt. Of course, Probably because you were high up. on drugs. <laughs> yeah, that's had something to do with it. So, and I did a front flip, and I remember looking at a light pole going like, you know, six inches by my head while I was upside down in the air. Hmm. And um, so, anyways, I got taken to the hospital, and um, I actually remember they were giving me stuff, you know. I wasn't going to tell them, hey, I have a raging tolerance to opiates, so whatever you give me is not going to do anything. And they had given me morphine which I didn't even feel. Morphine's actually pretty weak compared to a lot of these other... What? Oh, yeah. Morphine is... If That's you'd Bush asked League, me back huh? then, I was like, you buy morphine when you have no other options. That's insane. Yeah. So, um, anyways, uh, so I'm in the hospital, and I start going through withdrawals with a broken femur. Oh, no. And I had all those pills, and I got one of my buddies to literally smuggle me in pills and snort them. In Into the hospital. the hospital room. Yep, and I snorted them in the hospital bed, waiting to go into surgery. And these guys have no idea. They're about to put me on anesthesia drugs and all, you know. And you're sneaking drugs into the hospital. Yeah, into the hospital and snoring them in the bed. Yeah. I had family in the room. I told them, uh, he's got to help me with my catheter. Um, Y'all need to step out for a minute. Yeah, you need to step out for a minute, and I, you know, rolled a couple up and oh my goodness, snorted them right in the bed. Yeah, and I was good for a little while. And you survived the surgery? Oh yeah, no, yeah, obviously you did. I mean, they, uh, yeah. So that all went fine. They, I got a rod and a couple of screws in there, um, but uh, it was a clean break. That was one good thing. <laughs> but you know, coming out of it, I remember they tried to give me. Um, like regular, uh, gosh, what is it called? Not Vicodin, Percocet, where mm-hmm. it's acetaminophen and uh, oxycodone together. They're, you know, the five milligram standard, what you give to normal people. Yeah, it's very, uh, I think, popularly, popularly uh, prescribed yeah. painkiller. Mm-hmm. And you can get addicted to those, but um, it's nothing like the ones I was doing. You were way past it already at this point. Well, I was doing 30 milligram. I was doing five to six 30 milligram oxycodones a day that's just straight oxycodone before any of this motorcycle accident yeah yeah so i had a pretty big tolerance um and um they i got out of the hospital and they uh they tried to give me those and i went on a tirade like two days out all wrapped up broken femur and i went and literally drove around to back to the hospital, talked to the doctor and told him I was allergic to acetaminophen. I needed these other ones so I could get some, you know, the Stronger. pure oxycodone wanted... ones out of them. Yeah. So I got some from them. I ended up going to like two other doctors and showing them my x-ray. And there was like a little piece of bone floating around in there. And, uh, you know, I had a rod through my leg and screws. And so I'd flash that. Easy, easy sell. I found one that somebody, um, turned me on to and she uh was definitely on the crooked side and i walked out of there with probably five or six different prescriptions i bet you felt like you won the lottery oh absolutely absolutely um so that was kind of but that kicked off the beginning of the first end leading up to the first my first in treatment um so uh and and just to kind of go back a little bit so people can 
kind of understand the stuff um, that I was doing at the time to keep all this up before I broke my leg was, I mean, I got to a point where I stole stuff from family members. Um, I stole, I'd go around, I would be in a, the weird thing is, is I would feel so guilty that I'd have to get fucked up just to go. Oh my goodness. Get the balls or, or to try and suppress that, that kind of like self-hate to go shame to go do, you know, the bad things that I had to do so I could get drugs. Um, yeah, you still have a conscious, conscious inside of you. It's kind of, I try and tell the parents, it's like the person that you know is still there, but they're like locked in a cage and that cage gets bigger and thicker walls. The longer you go. Wow. So to break through that, and I always tell them, it's kind of like, you know, that person inside you rattles that cage sometimes, but it's really easy to suppress it. Uh, unfortunately, you know, and it, you get into a survival instinct where you can't even get out of bed in the morning. So, yeah, you're a prisoner of this. Oh yeah, and you know everything else goes by. All the outdoor stuff I did, gone. Totally out the window. Gone, and you would have thought I'd never done it. It's your whole life now. Yeah. You're all in. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um. Anyways. So post surgery. So post surgery, I get all that stuff, and things, then things get deeper. They do. The, the the amount I was doing went up significantly. So. And people started to, to catch on. They did. So then, I mean, they knew I was having issues, um, but especially when the prescription started to run out, mm. things were getting real bad. Real, um, you got desperate? Oh, yeah. I was real desperate. I mean, for example, so my parents hid that motorcycle um, and kind of tried to lock me down after surgery, right? I think it was four days after getting out of the hospital. I still had bandages on my leg and stitches in. I actually went and broke into my aunt's garage where it was, hot-wired the motorcycle, and uh, <laughs> stole it back and took that um, so I could go get... To go, did you sell it? Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't sell the motorcycle. I, I can't remember. I think I used it to actually go to one of the doctors to start getting prescriptions. Okay. And um, so that... And they, they had tried to get me in some kind of outpatient thing, and I used that to basically escape... So your loved ones are, are wise to this at this point. Yeah, they're pretty so, wise. Waller's this is not norm Waller's taking this to a Well, they a, could just way past anything remotely normal of a young man experimenting with things in his world. You're way past that at this point. Yeah, yeah. And I had some friends that were kinda reaching out to family and kinda giving them a little heads up and, and this really kid's gonna kill himself. Story. Yeah. Um uh, it was it was looking like that and honestly at that point it it wasn't as bad as it was gonna get so where'd you go after the after the accident you your leg healed up you started running out of your scripts yeah so i started running out of my scripts and um i started uh snorting i I, basically pills were becoming harder to come by it was right when Mm. they introduced the system where no matter what doctor you go to they can track what kind of prescriptions you're getting Mm. They've locked that down a lot more. I may be out of the loop on that, but fairly sure that's that's kind of the way things have gone to kind of reduce that abuse. Seems like a, a obvious kind of a, it's a self-monitoring system yeah, for doctors absolutely. to talk to one another. Absolutely. Um, so I uh, pills are getting harder to find. Yep, pills are getting harder to find, and 
a buddy of mine, uh, well, I wouldn't say a buddy, a drug acquaintance of mine knew where to get heroin. And so I was like, oh. you ever heard of you at this point, you'd never touched that had been around. Uh, it or? might, I might've seen it one time. This was um, not part of your life though. No, no. Um, you know, you kind of looked, I looked down upon it, even being a pill user, hmm. like heroin, that's junkies. Interesting. Um, so I started getting heroin and just snorting it because the kind that we get on the East Coast. Was I, not I've, nev- I've never, I don't know, I'm picturing like a black wax ball. That's, that's not what, what it is. see out West, at least uh, predominantly out West. Here, it was more of the stuff, I believe, coming from the Middle East. So it's like powder. It's powdery. It's like brown powder okay. or white powder. Okay. So you were able to snort kind. it. Yep. You can snort it. You can smoke it. And snorting was your game at this point. You That was no problem. Yep. Yep. So um, I started snorting that and then um, uh, things just kind of. Was it, would you say it was similar to what you were doing? Oh, or it's. Was this immediately like it's a little, the next level? No, it's really, honestly, I always tell people, I, you know, I don't care what doctors tell you what. When you get opiates. That is prescription heroin. 100%. 100%. Yeah, it's cleaner, and it's safer. Wow. It's definitely safer. Don't get me wrong. You know what's in it. You, you hope you know what's in it. Now, I mean, you're trusting pharmaceutical companies to have your best interest, which I would never trust a pharmaceutical company to have your best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's at least there's an ingredient ingredients list, and there's federal regulation. So you get into the, the heroin, but, I mean, at the base level, it's the same thing. Sure. And it acts on the same centers of your brain. Opioids are opioids. Yeah. So. Care what level. You're going to get, you can't, I can tell you this. If you do heroin for a month and you do you know, painkillers, Oxycontin, whatever for a month, you're going to feel the exact same when you go through withdrawals. Wow. So, I mean, there's not really much of a difference. Um, so you kind of get on the, the street level of this stuff. Yeah. So I get on the street level and, um, and that's when I kind of had my first, uh, intervention they didn't know that was going on they had no clue um but the family really stepped in big time and they're like your ass is going to treatment whether you like it or not um so i basically got your parents yep 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 they got uh, involved big time and you've previously told me uh you know statistically most people don't recover from this Mm -hmm. this is usually a, a pathway to a quick death yeah, I that... just buried someone like two months ago, actually. Oh. Yeah, but. I, but you you rec- you previously confessed to me that uh, a lot of the reason you were willing to admit that a lot of the reason that you did recover and you are sober today is because your family had the means to help. Absolutely, you. I'd be lying if I said that because I mean a lot of people now insurance has gotten better about it. Really. There's a lot more state funded, um, better treatment options now than there used to be. I mean, it's come. A long way there's still a long way to go but absolutely if you're a guy off the street whose family doesn't have any money and you got to go into treatment good luck ain't nobody I mean, paying for you to go get clean no i mean and you got to have people that care about you and come and and really want to push you to do it i mean there's guys there are options i've heard of some the salvation army does some pretty crazy stuff they really lock you in a room Ugh. and let you detox with nothing and then they make you work while you're there and um your family for the first for the first time in your life your family is like you need to you need help yep you need to go to a rehabilitation center yep yep so i went to one in williamsburg virginia which is about an hour and a half away and it's uh young 20s at this oh uh, gosh 22 maybe okay 
Um, tw yeah, 22. Um, and so I go uh, go to that, and I'm. What does that look like? I mean, you went willingly. Uh, I wouldn't say willingly, but I was like, okay, I'll do this, get them off my back, you know, and then I uh, see. We'll we'll see. I'll I'll be. I can when I come out, I'll be able to handle this in a recreational fashion. And, you know, go about living my life. No big deal. Hmm. And I actually stashed a bunch of pills before I left. I got a bunch of Xanax and a bunch of Percocets and Oxys and all that stuff. I feel like stuff. drug addicts are like squirrels. They like they like stash well, away. We're planners. You're plan you yeah. yeah. You're smarter. Big, you're smarter big, than people think you are at this big, point. Oh, that's that's one of the sayings that always goes. You take that kind of drive and you put in something good. You can well, do a lot. But um so I had kind of prepared to just kinda of coast and, and act like I was doing like, the I'll deal get everybody off my back yeah so and that was you know they medically detox you there that was shitty and um i guess it's a good what does that mean uh so they take you and there's some place well you can just go go cold turkey and where they just say okay but there's like a uh physical that's a risk like it can be can de depending on what drugs get so, so sick opiates don't have a risk of you dying from a withdrawal you might wish you were dying yeah you definitely wish you're dead wow. um but benzodiazepines xanax clonopin hmm. valium all that kind of stuff it reacts on the same centers of the brain as alcohol does and hmm. benzos and alcohol are one of the two drugs that you can have seizures and actually die from so they the gotta withdrawal. they gotta ease you off some stuff yeah i mean they usually they have some uh, lower key uh, drugs that kind of act on the same centers to keep you from, and they give you stuff like phenobarbital, which is uh, anti-seizure stuff. I'm gonna be honest, you sound like a damn pharmacist. Oh, I you're, always you're, say you've been name dropping some things that are way <laughs> over my head today. Well, I always tell people in college, I got my chemistry degree. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Did you graduate college? No, yeah. but I got a degree. In chemistry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jeez. So, um, you know, they they put you in a room. And they have a, a nurse that checks on you and takes vitals, and they basically look at what you've done. They take give you a drug test. They look at what's in your system, and they basically come up with a medical detox plan of giving you certain medications and kind of weaning you off that. I mean, it still is terrible. It's awful. It's like... But it's a little assisted. It's a little bit... It it, it can take some of the edge off, but um, I always try and describe what drawing is. Really, it's something that unless you've been through it, there's no comparison. I, I mean, I've never had cancer, but I tell you, it, it's the worst pain. It's the worst anxiety. It's, I mean, I would get the worst flu I've ever had whenever I get sick now, and nothing seems bad anymore. After wow. Through that. I mean, your bones hurt. Every day is a good day now, huh? Oh, God. <laughs> Shoot, you can give me the flu any day. I'd take that over. It's like all your worst flu symptoms amplified times a thousand with you know like the muscle spasms the restless legs i mean it's uncomfortable to lay down it's uncomfortable to stand up you can't sleep um the anxiety is your body's been so dependent on this stuff mm -hmm. that they take it away from you and your body just you're trying to restart dopamine and receptors that literally haven't had to work because you've been flooding your system with the you know it Interesting. Yeah, so you're trying to kickstart a system that has not been normally working, and you have all this assistance from these these chemicals you're putting in your body. It just, and I always kind of 
the analogy I use is like trying to, you know, start a diesel truck that you left out in the yard for 15 years, you know, and did yeah. a bit of oil change on. It ain't going to fire up right away. No. So it takes a little while. Yeah. So this so, is, how long were you in treatment? That time I was in for 30 days. 30 day treatment. Which is really, um, for anyone who's got any experience with this or has people that they know who are having these issues 30 days is the really doesn't it just doesn't do it it just doesn't do it it's not is that right time. It does, no it's not it's not it's not long enough for you to to reset and to realign your life oh god it's not even i mean that doesn't even happen for at least a year but yeah, you're, just you're, from, you're still doing that today yeah, yeah i mean yeah. just for your just if you're talking about purely on your body getting back on track somewhat normally it takes a minimum of 90 days for your brain to get like a metabolic exactly yeah so your your receptors and everything fire normally um but you know these rehabs are big money so you know they want to get people in and out um that's part of it god I i don't know where the month thing came in i think a lot of it has to do with the main detox stuff is over within 30 days yeah, you uh, think of part of it. You think of big pharma as like the evil money grabber in this whole story, <laughs> saying that the rehab facilities. Well, they too. can be. I, I don't want to put that out there for all of them. There's some really good people, and I've met a lot of really good people. And guys, I was just talking to one of my old counselors actually, right before I came and picked you all up. Hmm. Um, I have a I had a buddy recently reach out whose brother's going through a tough time, so I was trying to get them in touch with some good treatment options, but. Anyways, there it is still big business, and it's something that uh, if you end up going that route yourself or for a family member, it is big of a rush as it can be to get somebody in so they don't die. You know, there's still um, it's still good to to kind of dot your eyes and yeah. your T's on that stuff. But thirty days. Uh, yep. So, anyways, so yeah, I get out and um, I made some friends in there. Um, some of them are actually doing well but one of them in particular which i want his name but he um he was a guy that i kind of known off and on growing up we never did drugs together but we started hanging out because we went to rehab together Mm. and he was a big heroin guy and he was a big needle user and um anyways we both ended up relapsing and i was snoring heroin again and he had a really good hookup for it so I was over at his house one day, and he was um, shooting up in his jugular. This kid's putting a syringe full of heroin in his neck. Yeah, in his jugular, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, he, I remember watching him do it, and he he did something wrong, and blood sprayed all over the mirror. What? Yeah, and you would think, you know, that would make me, because he had blown all his other veins out. I was going to say, I, I you hear about, like, heroin addicts, like, Shooting between their fingers and toes, mm-hmm. so there's no track marks. Yeah, I've, I've done that, but um, and, but, <laughs> let's but keep, yeah, yeah, the but story's anyways, getting worse. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're at the point where I I was looking at how much he was doing, putting in the needle, and how high he was getting, and I was looking at how much I was snorting. It doesn't equate. It was way less. It was way less. He was using way less for better effects. So I finally was like, dude, will you show me how to do this? And he was like, no, no, I'm not gonna do it. Uh, you don't need to start using needles. It's a road you won't ever, you know, you'll never turn back from it. And I'm like, dude, just show me how to use it. And I basically bugged him until. I know. always wondered why people took that step. Mm-hmm. 
That was needle drug. It was for an economic. It's just an economical decision. Mm-hmm. That for is me, dark. that's what it was. Yeah. Um, so I did that, and for the first time, and it. Tell me about that experience. Well, the first couple of times, I kept, you know, you're not, you don't know what you're doing, and it seems simple enough, but I don't have, you know, big popping veins all over my body, so mm. I was kind of fishing for them, and I'd miss a lot, and. You know, you still get a high, but it's not the same when you do it. And when you have it go into a muscle, just, just not, it doesn't hit you as hard, not even close. Hmm. Um, it's a much slower metabolism, I guess yeah. the way you metabolize is much slower. But when I finally did hit a vein for the first time, um, yeah, they call it a rush, I guess you'd say. It almost takes your breath away. And it literally does. It's shutting your lungs down. Is that That's right? why people overdose. They stop breathing. Yeah. Turn blue. Because their their body doesn't know to breathe. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I should know the specifics exactly why. I'm glad. I, I it don't goes on the know. respiratory. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, man. And when I did that, it was like, holy crap. This yeah, it's is. a feeling you never, ever had before. It yeah. was. It was. Yeah, it was, you were already into. It was just, it's way more intense. full throttle. It's like being smacked in the face by it instead of just you know lifted off your feet. So, um, and I always. Gosh, where no turning back from this point. I mean, this is usually this is uh, the the beginning of the end for most no, people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and it's funny because I remember, gosh, if you had gone back a couple of years, even when I started. You know, you run into, through the pill game, you run into guys. You always run into someone who's shooting heroin or shooting the pills. And you always look down on them. And I was like, God, dude, that's a... Loser? Yeah. Uh, I was just like, that is gnarly, and I would would never never do do that. that. Yeah. Yep. And next thing I know, I'm doing it. I'm like, oh, I get it now. I get why they do it. I always tell people, you know, people don't do drugs because they don't work. They work. (laughs) The problem is, it's like a credit card, and every time you do it, you rack up debt, and eventually you got to pay that debt back. Mm. And I was, uh, yeah, I was off to the races at that point. Everything got worse. It's funny you think at the beginning you'll use less, which you end up, it doesn't tell you the truth. It really doesn't make any difference. And you're chasing that first time you shoot heroin, you're chasing that. That's that's the popular narrative yeah, you hear. Yeah, chasing the dragon. Yeah, or just <laughs> whatever. Chase, chasing that feeling. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. And that's and it's true, huh? You're, yeah, and you're off to the races, and um, you know that I was up to my old stuff again. Um, shoot, I remember one time I, I, uh, a drug using buddy of mine said, "Oh, there's a drug dealer I want to rob and whatever," and I had him go show me the house, and I went in by myself and broke into the house. Oh my! Bunch God. of money from a drug dealer just so I could get to it first. You are, and I'm like, I mean, look, I, do yeah. I seem like that now? If you were to look at me and think no, I've done that's something that, like that's that, that's a that's a funny thing. You know, <laughs> I've only known this version of you, thankfully, uh, but it is hard for me to picture you living this life. Yeah, yeah. Because you, but I, I think that speaks to like how. Uh, maybe common this story is in the like in the american narrative like this is this isn't unique to you like this no this is a real unique problem story is like to be honest you know people who have no experience with it will probably think some of it sounds crazy but mine is pg compared to a lot of people i know 
especially some of the women. Whoa. The women. Oh, and in, in uh, selling your body yeah, or something. Exactly. Oh, that is just terrible. Yeah. Yep. So, um, but anyways, yeah. I, I once I got a needle, and it wasn't like when I run out of heroin, it wasn't like I just. I don't care what it was. I was not gonna eat it. I was not gonna snort it. It was going in a needle. Ambien, sleeping pills. I would. You're try like, and, if you're gonna do it, do it hard. Yeah. <laughs> that full throttle. So, um, I remember one time I was so sick. And I didn't have anything. I actually put wine in a syringe and shot wine. Oh, that was my a bad idea. It burned real bad, and uh, I messed up my I feel hand. Like that could kill you. Well, maybe heroin could, could kill you. Yeah. all this is gonna kill you. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, man. So that's a real tipping point, though. I mean, things are really bad. Yeah. But you cross that bridge, and yeah, it turns into a different beast in some ways. A lot of ways, it's the same. I think the. It's like your desperation for some reason, at least for me personally, it seemed like it got worse when I went to the needle and it was you, that instant kind of gratification with how fast it hits, everything hits you. Yeah. It just makes you want it that much more. And I mean, I, I put every conceivable drug you could ever think of in a, in a needle, um, you know, Molly, Coke. Heroin. Anything, anything yeah. you get your hands on, you're uh, like, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna shoot it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's because it. it's so much more effective. Yep, yep, yep. So, God, that um, that kept going, and it's funny. This is a wildly dangerous game you're playing. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so I um, you know, I guess if we fast forward a little bit, um, there's not so much unique stuff about that period besides that just everything i was doing before was that much worse is the sure. gist of it you know um at some point you moved to california well this is where we're getting to okay. so i um my parents had tried to lock me in the basement <laughs> and i broke out of there at one point oh my God. um and then i ran i called the drug dealer i knew which was actually it was funny. I met him on a plane. He saw me eating the Xanax, and then we got oh to talking. Gosh. I gave him some. I got his number. He lived in Portsmouth, Virginia, which is about 30 minutes inland from where I lived. It was kind of a rough town. He lived in a nice neighborhood, but nice, normal-looking guy. He worked for a, a fish farming company, and um, he was a big heroin guy, and got his number. And This stuff's happening in plain sight of is, society. Yeah. Oh, people would be astonished. The amount of quote unquote normal people that probably are doing stuff like this. Struggling with drug addiction. Yeah. 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 So, but anyways, I I called him, he came, picked me up and I was like, I'm not going back to treatment, you know, and they're offering me, send me out of California to get a treatment. Ridiculous. Yeah. And this place is not like a, I wouldn't say it's what, you know, use the term bougie per se, but the, the clinical experience they have at this place was like next level they want to send you to a the, really the, good place yeah a really Ritz good place carlton well i wouldn't go that far but it, <laughs> you know for, still rehab yeah but it, it was a very nice facility much nicer than the last one but you don't want to go small oh no i'm like no nah, of course not. not happening i went to i called him we went out to a, a bar got something to eat and i i remember um doing a big shot in the bathroom and that was the closest I ever came to ODN. I actually dead bolted. It was like a single little bathroom. You could actually lock it. Uh-huh. 
I don't know how long I was out for, but I know I woke up. Someone was banging on the door, and I woke up with a you needle pushed, in my arm. You pushed off and went unconscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So lucky to overdose there. But anyways. Um, what is the definition of overdosing? I don't I don't know. Like, what is that? Uh, it sounds like you did. That's where you go into, like, respiratory failure. Okay. And, you know, generally you start to see people, like, totally, completely. I mean, I guess I was unresponsive, but I was still breathing, apparently. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been here. Okay. I would be here now. But... Um, I feel like it might be safe to say that you did overdose then. Yeah, I might get, yeah. Well, okay. So I don't, Either way, lucky is what I call it. And um, we end up going to his house and we're talking. And this is to the drug dealer. And I'm like, they want to send me to treatment again. I'm not going. And he's like, man, if my parents would give me another chance to go to treatment, I'll go in a heartbeat. You need to go. And this is a drug dealer talking to me. <laughs> the voice of reason. Back to... Uh conscious still existing inside of these addicts yeah right this guy spoke up yeah and he was like dude this is no this is no way to live he's like you think i want to do this like you're a decent guy you know he was like you son of a bitch yeah if only someone would try to pull me out of this hellfire i'd give anything here's somebody trying to help you and you won't take it yeah but i really attribute of course i had trials we'll go into later but i mean he he saved my life to be honest, I wish I could. I tried to find him to tell him later in life. I mean, I because I, you know, lost all those numbers and stuff, which you know, rightfully so. Thank God. But I, you know, I always think about him uh, from time to time, especially when it comes up on another year. So, um, yeah, I called my parents. Was like, I'll go. You did. Yeah, the next day, and um, I was on a plane. Whoa! Straight to another hospital to to get medically detoxed and. Um, Checked into this place called a mission for Michael, uh, which is still, um, they're still going now. The guy who started that place, uh, Trip Smith, his son, uh, had addiction issues and was kind of dual diagnosis, mental, uh, health issues, which usually run, coincide with drug use anyways. He killed himself. Mm. His son did. And, um, and so he started that place to try and help people. Um, and so I started my journey there. And I was kind of typical, you know, new shithead recovery. I think I know everything, and I'm just going to go through the motions again. Yeah, I'm going to get all these people off my back. Yep. And I had a, um, I don't know, it was like a week or two in. I was sitting on the porch um, uh, at the facility, and I don't know if you'd call it, I'd like to think it's God or an angel, something came down and i'm my mind for some reason went from i used to always think when i stopped all this stuff what i thought i was gonna be missing out on so much i was worried about and it's funny because you think shooting heroin what the hell are you missing out on that but i was going farther thinking i know because i'd been through a program before and i'd started aa and and narcotics anonymous and all that stuff and i knew as far as i could tell i was gonna have to be totally abstinent and I was thinking just, oh, how am I going to go meet girls? How am I going to go out to a bar and have fun? I can't do a line. I can't drink a beer. That, honestly, as I much can, as I've I, been, I can totally understand yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So if you're young, you're young man. Yeah, I'm 23 at this point. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to be just some lame guy. And um, But anyways, that night, my mind completely changed. And I thought, oh, my God, look at all the stuff I can do. If I don't have this ball and chain, because when you're addicted like that, it's like carrying a 
you saw all the potential you finally realized all the potential all the potential for for what i could do you know just as far as getting back into outdoor stuff in general right not having to plan you know every day how am i gonna have enough drugs yeah i bet you hadn't been duck hunting with your dad in a while no and um so i i that it it was weird it just happened like that and i went through that program and uh i still have buddies from some of my best friends i've i've ever had some of the counselors um how long were you there so I ended up doing 60 days at that one. Okay. And I extended it myself, too. You wanted to uh, get, yeah. get better. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. So I did that, and um, I went from there to, you know, we call it sober living. Uh, the addicts call it sober living. So, it's like a halfway house. So where you're... Well, so, yeah, what is a halfway house? Is that where so, they put you to work? No, well, they, they make you get a job somewhere. Um, but basically, it's a transition from not going straight back into society totally unaccountable it's like you come out of full-time treatment you go into server living which is like a dorm almost you got some supervision yeah you have a guy house manager you get drug tested regularly you got curfews you're with a bunch of other guys that are in recovery and you kind of all team up and you go to meetings and the the house um, manager really kind of stays on your ass and they make sure you're getting a job they make sure that you're staying clean. They kind of track your meetings, especially when you first get in. And they know accountability. Everybody. Yep. And and that California um, recovery community is as many problems as that state has. That recovery community out there is amazing. Because over here, there's some, you know, young people have a hard time. Well, young and old people. Everybody has a hard time staying clean and sober. But in Virginia, it was all the AA meetings and stuff I went to, they were always older guys. I felt like I couldn't relate to them. Hmm. You know, um, and they were trying to give me knowledge and wisdom, and I wasn't willing to take it either. But over there, I had all these kids, you my age to. and younger, going through the same thing. Hmm. And, you know, in the stories, because of so many people from all over the country coming, I mean, the stuff I heard in, in meetings there, I blew my mind. I was like, wow. I thought I was crazy. I am. You were crazy. I was crazy. But. <laughs> And I wouldn't say I was comparing myself to them, but I'm like, okay, well, they really get it because what they've been through is, you know, far worse. Um, so the first time you found recovery uh, and a rehab program that you felt like understood you as, yeah. a, as a young guy. Yeah, and just, you know, we're running around and we, we start, uh, you know, there's a bunch of surfers, a bunch yeah. of fishermen. And, um, you know, I felt it's weird when you come off all that stuff. It's like uh, being reborn. Your emotions and everything that you feel that you've been suppressing for so long. They're new to you. It's like, it's like the floodgates are open. And, I mean, I had, I remember paddling out again for the first time in California. And Surfing. Just grinning yeah. from either, like, almost laughing. Like, tr- like this, the high of just being sober. I mean, it's just... It was just incredible. I couldn't believe it. And um That was beautiful. Oh yeah, and then I got into um I did a whole lot of lobster diving out there. That was that was So you stayed in California? I did. I ended up staying there um for quite a while and anyway, well shoot. Well we'll keep going with, with some of the the outdoor stuff that I was doing, but I, I started getting into spear fishing. It's everyone free most people free dive out there, hmm. they kinda look at the down on the tank divers. <laughs> um 
Just but like it, you were looking down on heroin users. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, but so I, I, you know, surfing a bunch, um, diving a, big, a bunch. Big part of your new healthy, sober yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, it gave you something to focus on. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm ADD as it is. And, um, I just was eating up with it again. I felt like I had a, you know, well, I did have a new lease on life and, um, I was working, uh, I was working at a grocery store in the meat department. Humble, you know, humble little job. They always say the get well job is what they call it. It's just something to kind of humble you and, and make you say, look, you're not the most important person. Interesting. And you're, you know, you got to do some work to elevate yourself, you, you know, because you have too much of a big head when you go into that uh, recovery. You think you know it all. That's where you get tripped up. Um, so, and I was in, uh, the meat department there and it's funny i had a couple buddies in the server living who were getting on tinder and (laughs) uh they were having some success (laughs) some success on tinder so can't blame you yeah and i figured i was like you know what i'll try this i need to meet some girls that are not in recovery because it's not really good to get involved um especially in early recovery yeah it didn't work out so good the first time started hanging out with friends from rehab yeah you don't well you don't want to get romantically involved with um i mean it works sometimes there's plenty of people that have stories that met through the program early and they got married and had long healthy relationships but most of the time does not work like that uh so i wanted to meet some girls that were in aa and you did I did. Met your beautiful wife. Yes, <laughs> I was in. Um, I was in. <laughs> I was in the grocery store, and we started talking. She was the only normal one um, sure. that I'd talked to, and uh, so yeah, we ended up um, meeting up. We went for. Uh, and of course, I didn't really tell her the full extent. She yeah, you probably scared the later. shit out of her, and she well, probably go running. Yeah, so I was like, she's like, so. You know what? You're why are you out here? I was like, oh, you know, I was, just love surfing. I was an alcoholic, and you know, I got, I wasn't totally dishonest, but I wasn't. You, you didn't, you either. didn't dump the whole Hair story on her. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyways, we went to Starbucks and went to church for a first date. And, um, went to church. Yeah. Whoa. Well, uh, right. So we, we, uh, we, we hit it off uh, pretty quick. And then I remember it was our third date when I was like, yeah, so here's the whole deal. And You told her. Yeah. And she was like, that's fine. It's, you know, it's more about what you're doing today than what you did. She was just like, don't lie to me again. What a what a gal. Yeah. So. Um, she didn't scare her off. No. I, I remember it was like the second date. She was like, so what? What other drugs did you You didn't do like heroin, did you? And I was like, well, no, no. What are you, not, crazy? Not me. Yeah, crazy, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, but then. She was on to you. Well, she, mm, the third day, like I said, it all came out. Came so, clean. Because yeah. I realized, you know, um, I really, I thought, I kind of knew then. I figured she'd be the one. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, things cruising along things are going good yeah out there and um i picked up my year my first year sober picked up that chip and um i was working for a family it's actually kind of shitty how i got that job if i'm completely honest but i was like there's a lot of people in orange county that you know are divorced and they have kids i was like i like kids i can get them outdoors you know so I'll make a profile on uh, care.com 
and you know come like a, a manny. Ba- yeah, like a manny that was my oh big idea my gosh so <laughs> well long story short i ended up working for this family that had three mentally challenged high functioning but mentally challenged kids i had no experience three of them three boys all all of which are yeah, mentally that, challenged some of them one of them was the oldest one was probably well it's hard to say. There were two uh, twins and an older one. Is that hereditary? Maybe it is hereditary. Yeah, uh, they had like bipolar, uh, autism stuff. Uh, high, very high functioning. Like there are times if you were to talk to them, you would, you know, you wouldn't even know. Um, but major behavioral issues, and um, so you're the Manny. Yeah. So I was working with them, <laughs> and it was actually it was awesome. I was. They were nuts, but the parents were in over their heads, and they did some rewarding work for you. Well, they didn't push them to do anything, so I started getting them outdoors. You did. You could rent sailboats. I grew up competitively sailing. That's another thing I did when I was younger. So we we'd go down. It was like sixty bucks. You could rent a twenty-two foot capri, which is insane to me. Um, and they just give them to you, and we'd sail. And then I took them um, spear fishing and lobster diving. I'd tow the smaller ones out on a raft out to the kelp beds, tie them off to a piece of kelp, and me and the older one would spearfish and lobster dive, and then they loved it because wow. give them dead fish to play with. So they'd be sitting there playing with a dead fish, you know. And It's interesting that the, the outdoors was uh, a therapeutic thing f- for for both of you guys probably at that point. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we'll go into more of that in a little bit, but, I mean, I think most people that enjoy the outdoors realize how much it can help people. And... um so it really, I mean, they changed it. You know, I was in incredibly good shape doing all this stuff and getting paid for it. So I was like, and they were a nightmare at times. I mean, I got bit, kicked, uh, punched, stabbed one that's time. A, that's a big job, man. Yeah. That... Yeah, it was wild. Um, one of the younger ones broke the principal's ankle one time. I had to go pick him up from school. They were wrestling him on the ground, and I had to put him in a headlock and hold him till he calmed down and all that. He knew you though. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I had a a way with him for sure. Um, and you know, he, the, the wildest younger one, I introduced him to surfing. He really took the surfing. Um, and, uh, so, you know, that was a really good bit of leverage, uh, to use to, to kind of help him stay on the right track. Yeah. Give, give him, give him something to, to, focus on and sink into and enjoy and yeah you know try not to use that stuff as a punishment like you can't surf you do this but it's like if you do well yeah we will go we're gonna go surfing so but anyways um yeah so i had a year and about two weeks and we i went on a trip with them to santa cruz where they have some family property up there and um it's funny man you hear about in the program but i guess until you go through it I guess I'd started taking it for granted, but I was in the bathroom at the their family place up there and opened the medicine cabinet just yep. out of old habits. And there's a huge bottle of Percocet and a huge bottle of Ativan, which is like Xanax. Oh, and I'm no. like, oh, damn. That's a lot of that stuff. And, I sh- and I'm like, whatever. Walk away. Ignore it. Walk, Walk away. away. So I did. But, you know, people... There was a bunch of family around. They had this big family event thing, and um, people were drinking, and they're very, they're very open, you know, smoking weed and stuff like that. And I started to feel this tug, 
and sort of feel this anxiety of being around all this stuff. Oh, no. And not being quite prepared, I guess. Um, and there was no service up there. And I, in hindsight, I should have used the house phone and called a buddy and told him what what was going on. But long story short, I ended up going into that medicine cabinet, and I probably took, God knows, 15 Percocet, and I probably took about 25 out of Ann. A year sober, and you just dive into the You didn't take one. Oh, hell no. Because, and they weren't hitting me. I kept wanting them to hit me, so I kept taking more and more and more. And I remember I was so screwed up the next morning that, and they they were leaving, and the kids were driving back with the parents, so I wasn't putting anyone in danger, thank God. Um, but, um, I'm going to get into my, my truck and I start driving back south. Um, gosh, I don't know what the dang interstate is out there. I can't remember, but I remember I was so screwed up still from the night before that I had to pull over to rest stop. I think I passed out for like six hours or something. Are you, are you? Are you sick with guilt at this point? Or are you are you all in again? Where are you, where uh, no, are you at? I'm like I'm, I'm pretty shame. A lot of shame. I would imagine that would be the feeling. Yeah, I'm like, oh my god, because then I'm thinking, I just blew it. Uh, yeah, and I'm like, I'm not gonna tell anyone about this. Cause right. I don't want to deal with that. You know, and I knew what my recovery friends were gonna say. They were gonna be like, oh, your ass is going back to treatment, or we're gonna come over and camp out with you for the next however long it takes and be just on your ass all the time and i was like god damn it i don't want to do with that again and you know i'm at this point i'm living with you know to be wife yeah yeah and um you didn't tell her either no no i didn't tell anybody and uh, i went back and i was kind of just kind of squirrely for a couple days i didn't do anything else and then i reached out to a buddy in boulder and i was like yeah man will you send me some weed I was just like, you know what, I might, maybe I'm fine. I I did that stuff, and I didn't go straight for heroin, so mm-hmm. maybe I can, maybe I'm cool. Maybe I can just smoke some weed. So he sends me some weed in the mail, and I start smoking some weed. And um, and then, it's so crazy this stuff happens. I remember going in to the elevator in my apartment building, our apartment building one night, and uh, there was a bag of Coke someone had dropped on the floor. Call that a ground score. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. If you, if yeah, oh, I'd ground scored plenty of festivals. A, don't you worry. If you're in a different state. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I. What are the freaking odds of that? Right. Isn't that wild? So I did that whole bag, and then immediately I was like, I need opiates bad. Oh no. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so the the gorilla is yeah. unleashed. Well, the funny thing is, is so I, I didn't know anybody. I went on Craigslist to find drugs in California. Craigslist, man, and it worked. Oh yeah. Well, what? Yeah, I ended up finding talking a guy. In code? They gotta be talking in code or something. No, maybe not. Nah. Mm-mm. Oh no, Waller. So I ended up uh, finding a guy, and I actually got burned by one dude. One guy sold me fake stuff. Um, one guy was trying to get me to do like a money order to him, and I was like, I already know that's a scam. But then the third guy I found was legit. Sold you real drugs. Yep. Got some oxys. Um, But it's funny. I did those, and I was like, you know what, man? I know where this is going to take me. I'm I'm not 
Yeah, a, a year of sobriety had to given you a lot of enlightenment. Oh yeah, it does. But you weren't you weren't dumb in the first place, but you have to know what's happening. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you do, and it, it kind of sucks. They they tell you it's a lot harder to um, go back out when you got a head full of AA or NA. You get a head full of all that recovery crap. You got to do a lot more next time because you got to fight that voice in the head that says, "You know mm. you're fucking up." But I don't know. Somehow I, I kind of was like, I saw where that was going. I was like, well, I know what opiates will do. But I was like, hmm. I really like Adderall and Vyvanse. I like to sleep. I like Xanax a lot, but I wasn't using it too hard. I was like, I got this plan. I was like, you know, they prescribe everything around here so easily. So I went to a psychiatrist and said I had adult ADHD and did this whole dog and pony show for him. Next thing I know, I'm walking out of the uh, doctor with like two prescriptions for Vyvanse and one for Adderall. Um, and then uh, I would take... You're going back down a rabbit hole. Yeah, just a, a, new diff- one. a different one, but a rabbit hole. You make all these uh, concessions with yourself. You you talk. Well, I'm thinking like, you know, I was like, this is great. I'm going up. That what I used to live uh, uh, above one of the best surf breaks in Southern California, Lower Trestles, and it gets really crowded. So I'd wake up at 3, 3.30 in the morning, take a shit ton of amphetamines, go walk or ride my bike. It's about a mile and a half or two miles down to that beach. Maybe a little less, but it's a little bit of a hike. And uh, I'd go, and the, the lights on the interstate would illuminate the surf enough to where you could see in the dark. Hmm. Enough. Still kind of weird. but <laughs> Sounds um, super dangerous. Yeah, there's a, it's a little, it's a great white shark uh, nesting or breeding ground, as far as I know. Great whites. Yeah, like yeah, I believe that. Little little I've babies. It's like right by San Onofre. Whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was probably dumb. But you'd be surprised. You'd see a lot of guys out there. Even on full moons, you'd see like twelve, thirteen people out there at night, and when it's real bright. But that was my thing. I'd get up. You know, I'd go surf. I'd Do be a out bunch of the of water. Speed. I'd be out of the water by seven o'clock, and I'd go to work when everyone else was going in. You know, to start surfing. And then, um, but then I started having issues sleeping. And I went on this bachelor party trip with some buddies from Florida who I met out there through surfing. We went to Mexico. We'd always go to Baja to surf. And, um, you know, we got into some coke and stuff when we were doing that. And um, and we went to the pharmacia. And you can get Xanax and shit over the counter there. So I was like, I'm going to just get a couple of these so I can, you know, sleep after we party all night. And uh, so I took a couple of those, and man, I got the best night's sleep. And I was all hopped up on shit. So I was like, oh, okay. I can manage this. Well, I was just like, this is a great combination. Oh, no. And I'm not, you know, the Xanax, I could go down, it literally was an hour and a half drive for me from where I live. To Mexico. Mexico. I'd get them anytime I wanted to. And you just drive over the border with them in your pocket. You're smug. You're internationally smuggling drugs at this point. I mean, I guess you could say that. Yeah. So this is your new program. Basically, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I, you know, I was, I'm. Some people. Does they, family know anything? Mm-hmm. No. Everybody thinks you're still sober. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. So you live in this a lie. I, you live in a pretty strong lie at this. Yeah, point. Yeah, well, they're gone, and then you know, Courtney didn't have my soon to be wife she didn't have experience with it she didn't know what she was looking for she, no and she i was, didn't see 
I mean, she started to down the road, but, um, but yeah, man, I, I just, I was pretty high functioning. I was always on time for everything. I wasn't, you know, stealing or anything. I had a decent job and the stuff was so cheap. You justified it. And I got, I got insurance paid for most of it. Oh my goodness. The doctors are prescribing me meth. Right. That's what it is. Um, and you know, not to get too, cause this story could go on forever and ever, but now there were times where I had run out of my prescription stuff and that's when I was introduced to meth. I had never done it before. And, um, I had this n- nurse that I knew through the Craigslist thing too. Um, before I get Xanax from Mexico, uh, he had, uh, he was just like an occasional meth smoker, which is, it sounds crazy, but he would like take a puff of meth before work and yeah. go to work. The recreational meth. <laughs> yeah. So I got some of that from him to hold me over and I'd snort it sometimes. It was the same story as before. You ran out of scripts mm-hmm. and resorted to Yeah, him. yeah, exactly. So you, you ran out of amphetamines. Yeah. You found speed. Yep. And I, you know, and then I ended up shooting at some. You got you went back to the needle. Yeah, but not like before. It was weird. I I don't know why. I think it's just I still had that head full of the recovery stuff, and it just I didn't want that look. I mean, I really well didn't. I I just kind of knew. I wouldn't say I was controlling it. That's not true. You thought you were. But I yeah. But I I just you know when you don't put the needle on your arm, you all of a sudden start thinking, okay, I'm bad, but I'm not. That bad. That bad, you know. Um, yes, this constant uh, justification with yourself. You're constantly mm-hmm. like trying to mm-hmm. to talk to, to make things. Yeah. You know, I, I know it's bad, but it's not not as bad as that guy. Yep. And I'm still, you know, I'm thinking, I'm still surfing. I'm diving all the time. Um, you know, participating outdoors. I'm and I'm doing all the stuff I want to do. I was going all up and down the, the coast of California, surfing and fishing. I got a kayak, got a reel in the kayak fishing. Um, and so I would go up to more Northern California, big surf, spent a lot of time up there, made some buddies up there. Good, good people, actually, normal people. Um, but things got uh, out of hand when I think Courtney started to see you know, I'd be up late doing weird shit, like repairing surfboards at like one o'clock in the morning. Like I'm pretty sure one time she caught me trying to paint the wall. <laughs> That's some mess shit right there. But what are you doing? Yeah. I'm painting. <laughs> like what? Why? What? Okay. Uh, Red flags here. But she, um, I don't, I don't know exactly what happened. I don't remember much, but I know I had taken a bunch of Xanax. I had been up late. I took a bunch of Xanax. To go to bed. Yeah. So I was taking like 25 milligrams a day, which is like over 10 bars. What? Yeah. I don't know how. I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with the portions of those. So if you took like a two milligram Xanax bar, if I gave one to you right now. I'm familiar with the the terminology of a a Xanax bar. Yeah. So it comes in like a little stick. Yeah. I was taking like 10 of those, which if I gave you one right now with no tolerance, you'd be pretty fucked up for about a day or two. Oh my gosh well but anyways um i had gotten up i took some to go to sleep i woke up in the early morning hours took a bunch more she of went xanax to, yeah you want to sleep more or what i, I just trying to wanted be, to go back to sleep i guess okay so she went off to work 
I got in the bathtub, and next thing I know, I'm being shaken awake by her. It turns out, uh, we were at that point. Our apartment was a it was in someone's house, and they had a little bit of like a space above their house we were living in. They had heard the faucet being running for so long. Oh no! And um, I had passed out in the tub and with the, the water, water running. Yeah, and the water was probably like right under my bottom lip. Oh my gosh! Right there, and so I woke to her shaking me, crying. And um, what is wrong with you? Yeah, she's yeah, oh, yeah. I mean. She got to bring it up. She called all my buddies immediately. Said he's recovery. He's, re- recovery he's relapsed. And yeah. They're like, yeah. So they all came. This huge, you know, intervention. And we're basically like, you know, and she, when she makes her mind up on something, I tell you, she's she'll stick to it. So. Um, she's a very very stately woman. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Not um, not a gal I'd want to no, piss off. No. So uh, yeah, she she. Mostly pulled the ripcord at that point. I was like, you're going to get your shit straight. Um, and, yeah, I did. I tried to do cold turkey at home, and that was absolutely brutal. I'm lucky I didn't die from withdrawals from that stuff. Um, but I was back on stuff within two weeks, and I just tapered way back and went just total. And they people were trying to drug test me. I was keeping clean pee on me at all times like oh my gosh strapped to my leg um and this this is a, a a common narrative of people struggling with addiction and getting clean a lot of people don't get clean their first time oh no very few people do i'd say it takes it two to three times seems to be about yeah, relapsing is not uh it's uncommon. a part of, uh, honestly I hate to say it, it's kind of a part of recovery um, it just sucks because there's no telling whether you'll make it through the next relapse. So many people die. Yeah, because so your like, tolerance has gone down, and exactly you, you, you go back to your old ways. Yep, and, and you think you, you kill yourself. Amount, I mean, I've lost. Gosh, I don't know. It's close to if it's not in the twenties, it's real close. Oh my gosh! Of, of not all of them being real good friends, but um, people I've known through the recovery community, but. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I kind of weaseled my way out of that one. Um, so you tried to go cold turkey? Yeah, it was, it was insane. It's funny, you would think that when you get off Xanax, because of the way it kind of makes you, I guess you, it reacts, acts on the same part of your brain as alcohol. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of like eating alcohol, but, um. You would think you'd get more clear-headed coming off that stuff. I couldn't even speak barely for the first week. Oh, God. I couldn't drive. I mean, I was so... Handicapped. Screwed up. It was crazy. It was like my brain was leaking out of my ears. But, um... Without it. Oh, yeah. Do we want to stop and eat? Do we need to? Is dinner ready? Yeah. All right. We'll we'll stop. We'll finish the story. This is going to be a long one. About two weeks after that, just really trying to be, uh, I mean, I was kind of thin ice with everybody, so started just trying to feel normal. Wouldn't say I was getting, you know, trying to get real high or anything. Um, so did you, 
did you get clean for a short minute? Yeah, like two weeks, maybe. Two weeks. Yeah. And it was just too, uh, honestly, if I had reached out more, I probably could have gotten into treatment then. But I thought, you know, I could deal with it, and I'd just go back to doing what I was doing. Most of it was prescribed now. And, um, you know, besides the Mexico stuff, but that was – I'd get quite a bit when I was down there, so it'd last quite a while, but, um, California ended up being like a double-edged sword for well, you. Well, you know, people try and move away all the time to go to treatment and stuff, and they, we call it pulling a geographic. You can move wherever you want to, but your issues are going to follow you. Yeah, it, it that makes a lot of sense. On, you know, what you... What you make of them? I hear people all the time saying, "I just got to get out of this town." Well, trust like you're me. running away from problems that are coming right with you. Yep, it's an internal issue. It doesn't have to do with your environment uh, as much. I mean, it can definitely help be in a good, better environment. But anyways, um, so yeah, man, I kind of went back to business as usual. I was just like, I just got to be, I got to be really careful. Hiding, gotta, hiding this. Yeah, hiding it. And I just got to be really careful. I got to dial it back some, and I just have to really, I just have to be extremely thorough with how I administer myself these drugs. Yeah, you keep, like, making these deals with yourself. Mm -hmm. You keep, like, uh, making these concessions and justifying things to yourself and, like, I I can handle it. I'm just going to manage it myself. I can do this. There's got to be a, I can't speak to this, but perhaps you could, I have to imagine that relapsing there has to be a level of shame to it oh absolutely and an me. embarrassment to oh, it oh it's totally because everybody you're the goal when you're sober you're the golden child well well i mean maybe that's wrong but you know yeah, what i'm saying i know what you mean i mean everyone's so everyone's proud of you so proud of you it's your first year everyone's so proud of you that's such a big um it's a huge milestone you know it really is but you know yeah you don't want to let anybody down you've been letting people down for a long time and um also at you know at that point i thought hey i'm not shooting dope anymore so i'm good yeah i screwed up i went a little hard you know but still going to work every day i haven't gotten in trouble with the law you know all that kind of stuff so. to date had you ever been arrested i had and i probably should have mentioned that earlier i actually got busted twice um with drugs yeah widespread panic shows you got arrested at concerts yeah i got um trafficking lsd at a widespread in South Carolina when I was like 21. Sounds luckily, like a heavy charge. Yeah, I got caught with a sheet of acid. Um, I was selling it, and I got caught with like an ounce or something of hash and I don't know, something else. But I was uh, South Carolina's got a pretrial intervention program where if you're a first-time nonviolent offender, you can go into their pretrial intervention, and you basically take some drug tests, go to a couple of drug classes, actually – Sweet deal. You don't uh, get in a ton of criminal trouble if you if you no. want to get better. Yeah, I mean, well, honestly, that program for someone like me who's an actual addict was, I, wasn't full blown at that point. But it doesn't. I mean, it was. It's so easy to manipulate that system. Uh, I. I see. I could see how that would happen. Yeah, yeah, I passed a lot of drug tests I should not have. But um, anyway, so I got off with. Basically nothing. They unsupervised probation for a year. Um, I did work a lot during the summer to pay those lawyers off. Yeah, I but bet. Um, 
But other than that, yeah, it was pretty easy. And then I got actually caught with uh, heroin and at Whitesford Panic um, in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I've been caught in both Carolinas. Wow. And um, they thought it was Molly because it was white, and they never tested it. And so they, when we went to court, um, they had never done a test, and the lawyer was able to get it thrown out. Super like you guys lucky. don't even know what that was. Yeah, I mean, they're supposed to, to, to test it. Um, Pretty quick. Do some verifications Something. on yeah. it. Yeah, um, so they didn't do that, and that was, I know that was one of the reasons. Um, okay, thrown out. But so back to you, you justify, you're making these deals with yourself you're like i'm not it's not as bad as it was i'm gonna yeah i'm this. just i'm just like i'm gonna dial it back i'm functioning i'm good yeah you know let's just not steal i'm not shooting dope i'm good i got this so we continue on and uh during this time i mean i did dial it back comparatively to how i was for a while uh, i ended up uh proposing to my wife i guess about uh, maybe a year after that or something um and she must have seen seen the good in you. Yeah, I mean, I think people that uh, have addicts and alcoholics that they love, especially when they haven't been through it. You know, she she kind of saw it, but when she had, we had the bathroom incident, but you're you want to see the good in everybody, and you don't especially the ones you love. Yeah, you're willing to turn a blind eye. I mean, my parents did it for the longest time uh, too. So before they kind of laid down the law but um so i proposed to her and we got ready to plan the wedding and um things like i i think i mentioned before i'm a slow burn type of guy i don't crash and burn real quick mm-hmm. i'm i'm pretty good at maintaining for a long time which is really to my detriment sure you're able to hide stuff from yep. people so um yeah, man, it just started ramping up. Inevitably, that's what happens. Tolerances grow, and um, you need more to accomplish the same thing. And I don't know if it was the marriage coming up or whatever, but I swear something had switched to me. I think really it was a, it was like a subconscious crying for help where I was trying to get caught because I started getting sloppy again. Interesting. And... Um, I mean, God, I was, the closer we got to a wedding, I just, I was so thin. I mean, I was in good shape at one point. I was getting to the point where I was, like, I, I'd say a normal weight for me would be when I'm in, like, good shape yeah. and healthy, it should be around 185. Okay. That's probably, like, 155, maybe 150. Like, noticeably Like, pretty gaunt. skin and bones. Yeah. Like, been surfing and diving still all the time. But so you I'm look like, kind of like a junkie. Yeah, I mean, well, I would, the skinniness, yeah. you know. Um, I wasn't. I wouldn't say that I had the drawn face and everything. Yeah, I guess like that's what, what I picture, like when, the sunken eyes, yeah. and the cheeks. Now, like, when I wouldn't sleep from that stuff, and it would, I someone might mention something, and I'd be like, "Oh shit, I better 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 get a good night of sleep here. Better look then, normal tomorrow. Yeah, if I exactly. can. Yeah." Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, really kind of where the, this whole thing kind of ends. I like to think that it just begins. Yeah, it begins. <laughs> your, that's, your that's Your life good. began. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, 
actually it's funny i had i had a bunch of friends they told me after the fact they were they had approached me my buddies in recovery who were a lot of them were my groomsmen at my wedding and they were like dude we know it's you're ob- fucked up. it's obvious like are you gonna make this wedding oh and people were worried about you not well, my buddies it to your own wedding they were just like is he gonna make it before he crashes and burns he gonna make the wedding like through it oh my gosh and so, long story short. Or are we going to have to call the wedding off and yeah. send Waller back to rehab and oh, yeah. this whole thing no, no, is going to crash and burn? Yeah. Yeah. And my my mom had been out because we were all involved in planning the wedding. And she was like, I'm about to call this fucking thing off. You better get your. But the reason she didn't because she wasn't going to do that to Courtney. She wasn't going to do that to Courtney. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm glad she didn't. But it, either way, what, what ended up happening is. Um, you got married. We got married, and I basically uh, stayed up that night doing drugs. I had a guy I actually had the one of the drug dealer at my time. I was up later than everyone else. He came and dropped shit off to me. The at, night of your wedding. Yep, after everyone else was going to sleep, and uh, it was all pills and stuff. But the next morning. Um, Courtney had worn my mom's earrings uh, that night, and I had this vest on, and I had all these pills in the pocket, and she came up to me to give me the earrings, to give them back to my mother, and she unzipped my pocket to put them in, and I reacted. You're like, whoa, don't don't go in like, there. what the fuck's in there? Yeah. And she pulled all those pills out. Yeah. And she's all in at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, she could have easily have cut and run and gotten an old I mean but so yeah it was a it was a big confrontation big moment I mean, they're getting she, caught I don't know if I've ever felt that bad in my entire life that much shame or guilt girl your dreams yeah this is the wedding yeah beautiful wedding I've seen some pictures beautiful yeah. wedding <laughs> but you had some demons lurking yeah you know it's one thing when you mess hurt yourself and unfortunately with this addiction stuff the people you hurt the most are the ones you love i mean it, it sounds cliche but it's just no i like of it. throughout this whole story like your parents like, yeah your parents have a story to tell no, i mean and i screwed up i screwed over friends i mean everybody it didn't matter if you you couldn't trust me with a freaking bag of rocks i would have tried to go sell, you know, <laughs> sell them yeah or something i mean good lord um but uh so darkest hour yeah, I'd say, and, and even then, for just a second, I was like, oh, my God, there's got to be, I knew I'd screwed up, and I felt so bad, and I was still like, I'm, I'm, you're scared. You get really scared about when you know not only that, see, sobriety at that point not only means i got to detox and go through all the pain and withdrawal and, and the anxiety and everything else, it means I have to come to terms with what i've done you got to confront all this completely there's no running from it you got to look look yourself in the mirror and face all this shit and i gotta have to talk about it for a long time you know between the counseling and and luckily for me um Hmm. you know courtney was pretty much it was like a silent ultimatum i'm a little hazy i don't remember as much as you know of that specific time period right after the thing that really sticks with me is you know i called one of my um best buddies I actually grew up with him here we used together all during college um 
he actually ended up coming the, the same treatment the first time I went um, that mission for Michael Place in California. He actually ended up going coming there like two weeks after I'd been. Wow. We went through a treatment together. Through networking with Yeah, his parents and my and parents stuff. are yeah. close and they heard it was such a good place and um and I called him and I was like, Hey man, what do you think I should do? And he's like, dude, you either got two things to do. You're either gonna go to treatment and you're gonna turn this around right now, or you're gonna lose everything, and you're gonna fucking die. Yeah, you got more to lose than ever now. Yeah. You got a new life. And I was new, like, new, all right. New life. This, and I, you know what, as soon as I talked to him, um, you would think that, like, just with what I'd done to her, you'd want to go. I guess sometimes you need someone who's been through it. And really, when, when someone that's I get in that. recovery, that really, that knows every little kind of dark secret of yours and it's been there and he says that to you. I was just like, yep, I'm done. Resonates a little. Yeah, and I, I'm not, that's when it really, when I was done, at that point, I was like, I am done, done. There's no, there's no second, there's no kind of plans here. There's no stashing stuff. There's no, I'm like. You did, I'm, this is the first time you approached treatment without, like, I'm well, going gonna, gonna to fool everybody. I'm going to take, well, I can manage this. I mean, I got to the point on the last one where I felt really good and I had that like spiritual experience, right. where I, you know, my mood changed. And then, you know, I was able, I just, when I relapsed and then you start doing drugs again, you, you, I had to use more just to keep that out of my mind. I mean, I literally, I carried that with me the whole time. I was like, I know I'm better than this, but I just, I'm going to block it out. I just, yeah, you just keep pushing it down. So at that point I was just like, look, I'm either, I've never been, a suicidal guy ever I always it was lucky enough I guess to think about um I just you know stuff pops in your head every once in a while you're like oh maybe it's better if I'm not here you I, know I completely understand yeah. how that would come into your mind at yeah. times like this yeah and it, it kind of popped in before but I'm like no I would never do that to other people I'm not I'm not that bad I'm not gonna that's so selfish but this time when I went in I was like I'm either gonna do this now or I'm fucking killing myself. That's heavy. Like that, there's no two ways about it. That's because if I go back, that's this so shit, heavy, you know, Waller. Like I'm not coming out. If I go through this again and I come out and I screw up again, like I'm cutting it off. I'm I'm going till I literally they lock me up or I fucking die. So. Not gonna keep this cycle. No, it's just, up and down and in and out. And I and luckily, I mean, I. Like I said, pretty much made it my mind. But that first couple of days in the hospital bed, detoxing, so I don't think I've ever been that low. I think you told me previously you, you went into treatment three days after your wedding. Yep, three days. Yep. Wow. Three days after getting married, no honeymoon. Quite a quite a honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. <laughs> so <laughs> there, there is a there is a beautiful ending to this yeah. story, people. <laughs> yeah. You are yeah. going on your honeymoon here. Yeah. Years yeah. later, you yeah. guys are going to Scotland this yeah. fall. Yeah. Uh but, but anyways, I'm I'm so I'm in the bed and I'm just like, man, I'm so low. I didn't eat for four days when I got in there. I think I dropped to like 140 pounds. Oh my gosh! Which is, it's literally they were so worried. They had nurses coming in and being like, dude, if you don't eat, like we're gonna have to like send you somewhere else because you're like malnourished. And like, my, they, they were taking my heart, and I wasn't still physically pretty good. 
I mean, besides the detox, the amount of cardio and stuff I'd been doing, um, my heart rate was so low when they were in there. She was like, you barely have a pulse. Like, I went catatonic for a couple oh of days. Oh, my goodness. I, I did, like, um, it was weird. I, I actually got to a point where it was a really bad detox, but almost at the same time, I was able to disassociate so well that time. No eating, in a bed all day, in the dark, that I, like, I swear I, like, almost meditated. Through it. Through it, in a way. And I came out, like, five days later, and I started eating, took a shower, and I went into that treatment round just totally defeated and uh, had a couple weeks there. Went back to the same place, actually, um, which was... Mission for Michael. Yep, which was really kind of comforting, to be honest, because... You know, the counselors in there, they didn't judge me, they didn't give me a ration of shit, none of that. They just, they were there to well, to help again. Um, but the first family group where the wife came in. Oh, boy. It was a heavy one. I bet. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what, that, that, sh- that woman is definitely the strongest person I know. And the stuff that she had to, our childhoods couldn't be any different. You know, she... Um, had a terrible father, no father figure. I mean, t- in and out of jail, well, uh, you know, some drug issues too. And now the man um, she marries is directing yeah. her to like some. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he was bad. a wife beater and stuff like that. So, um, he, he and and she had a lot of childhood um, trauma that she worked through, paid her way through college. Well, you know, has done everything herself. Um, literally came from nothing i mean they when they were younger they used to have the power shut off here i am you know come from come from a really well means yeah people that worked hard and you know and did well for themselves and you know i'm just this piece of shit junkie is what i'm thinking and i'm like i'm in there and i'm just like how how did i deserve any of this i don't know and i still to be honest don't really know um i think it's a blend of a lot of luck, a lot of good people, whether it be friends and family, um, and a really, really strong woman who keeps me accountable. So were you able um, to turn, I mean, I imagine there was a lot of like self-hate in this oh, moment. Dude, you know what? There's still times even talking about it now, you know, the shame, it, it'll well up. But where, much where I was added. going with that was, were you able to turn that into motivation? And oh, fuel? yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Um, we did a lot of work. Um, we did couples therapy and she continued with her own therapy i've done a lot of my own um especially this first couple years not not like we didn't have to do the marriage counseling thing but for so long but um i knew i tell you i i I didn't i didn't fight anything this time i'm gonna belly up i mean what are you gonna say there's nothing you what are you i mean i've been delusional don't get me wrong but so there's a certain a point realization that you were like, and I, on the family side of things, I think a lot of families grow exhausted with oh yeah the cycle. Oh, they were ready. Like how I, many how many times do oh, I have to you out of jail? How many times yeah. are you going to go to treatment? If I had not, I'm telling you, that was my last chance too, and I knew that. Sounds like you made counts. that. You you knew it that was a hundred percent my last chance. My I mean, my mother's, you know, she goes to Al-Anon for a reason because she struggles with codependency. A lot of parents do. You know? I, I feel like I want to talk to your mom. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that'd oh, be a great, great conversation. Um, but, uh, yeah, she, um, 
So I mean, so know, but, that, but she, she even she, and I, and I'm telling you, if she tells you you're done. You're done. Leading up to the wedding, yeah. Because my dad was done this. a while ago. Your dad already checked out on you. Oh, he was. He was just like, he's on his own. Good luck, know, dude. You know, that was after the second time. You're on your own, but. We couldn't have tried any harder no, for you. No, um, you've made these decisions. But um, yeah, man. So, you know, the the good part of this story now is what, and I think one of the one of the key things I think a lot of people should understand and bringing it back to the outdoors. Ever since that moment, every day that I'm in the outdoors hunting, fishing, surfing, kite surfing, whatever it may be. I don't know what happened, but I feel like it's the first day I've ever done it. No oh, that's it's beautiful. Like, it's it's crazy. And I got into... You have, like, a, a renewed appreciation on life. Oh, it's, it's... I mean, there are years that I don't even remember. I was telling you about that the other day. There's, yeah. like, a six to eight-year span that, like... I remember some some good. There's some good stuff, you know. I but had it's some. It's kind of just a smudge in the memory bank. Exactly, I would, I would call it a brownout. I wouldn't say it's a complete blackout, oh, <laughs> but gosh. it's you know, it's it's there's stuff I don't remember, and I'll never get those years back. And then of course, you know, you come to the the hurting people, and it's um, you know that that's a weight that is really uh, that can be hard, but. The other thing is, is you can't sit around feeling sorry for yourself. The only thing you can do is show up each and every day and just, con- I mean, as cheesy as it sounds, you just got to try and be the best you can be. Yeah. And not do the same, not make the same mistakes again. Yeah. And I'll tell you, through the last, um. So how long were you in treatment at that time? Uh, like 45 days that time. Um, and you've been clean ever since. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I've been clean ever since and. Hell yeah, Waller. Yeah, it's been a, it's been almost, a while, right? Almost seven years now. Yep. That yep, is Working so on seven. So. Awesome. Yeah. And um, you know, what I, did that look like in the years of fought? You, your marriage is fresh and young. You, you're newly sober again. You're, which you got crazy. To be highly motivated. For my, I have my wedding anniversary, and then I have my sobriety anniversary yeah, all the s- same week. Staunchly. Oh, yeah. Quite yeah. a, <laughs> quite an anniversary. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, um, I always have mixed emotions. I'm, I'm I'm proud of myself for that, but I will say it definitely. I think there's a reason. Maybe it was like that. Whether you call it God or the universe or however you want to phrase it, for me personally, I feel like that's not necessarily a total coincidence, because it it brings me back to thinking like what, you know, why you besides you have to do this for yourself first. Hmm. You can't get clean server for somebody else. But it is a damn good reminder, and it's a damn you know it's a it's a reminder of how grateful you should be when you look at the people that have stuck with you. Yeah, man, you're the luckiest duck on the whole pond, if I'm, you ask me. I'm very lucky, <laughs> that's for sure, and and that you didn't die. Yeah, that you had the family that you had behind you. Yep. That the woman who came into your life did. Yeah. Yep. Um, in that you used all that to fuel your sobriety. I, no, I think it's, no. I think you're a, a warrior and an incredibly impressive person for doing all of this yeah. and surviving all of this. But I think it, you're 
you're just as lucky too. Yeah, you I'd say it's more luck. Thing. I mean, honestly, I hate to. I don't know, man. It's like every year that that goes by, and like to be honest, it's funny. I used to think one year was a long time. <laughs> now I'm like, like one of the guys I really like, who I really look up to, specifically in the program. He's he's only been hunting probably eight years, and we we kind of met up through a mutual friend. But he's an older guy. He's got twenty. He just got twenty two years. Wow. And so the number one thing I've learned going through this is like the more years I get, the less I feel like, you know, I'm, it used to be, I'd get, you know, I'd be in a meeting. Oh, I got six months. I know everything. Mm. And it's like now every year I go, I was like, no, I, don't, I really don't know shit. The only thing I know about is I'm not going to pick up that drug and I'm not going to pick up that drink. Do you, uh, ever live in fear of falling back into it? I have a realistic idea that i am not immune mm-hmm. that i could potentially relapse mm-hmm. but all i do is i you know I'll wake up in the morning and say i'm not going to use today i don't know about tomorrow i'm about a month and it's cliche they say in the program all the time the right. one day at a time but honestly when that clicks in your head you're like all i gotta do is focus on this day or this hour or this minute feels more uh manageable, more manageable. yeah who cares about can't think that far ahead i can imagine i can imagine i mean being I an think- addict and being like i go on a, a yeah a week without this i can't be like we're just focused on right now yeah and i look you know i just look forward to i don't want to really get any older but i do look forward to getting more years of sobriety so that's, that's cool good. but um yeah the, about the only thing i think about in the future is hunt trips <laughs> so and that's you know that's one thing where i think uh if i kind of had a outdoors the the aa program and the na program and all the rehab and stuff in the world that is great and some people um i will never knock on that program it saved my life i still go to meetings not all that much probably not as much as some guys would say i should but the outdoors and hunting and fishing that gave me my life back because and, and it was so when i had this realization i saw all these kids going out after they get clean and sober they all they did is grow up partying and it was that was their whole life they didn't have any of these outlets so when i got out and i got my stuff straight i had stuff i could put that energy into yeah that those ways to rediscover myself to to humble myself i i mean this might i'll be coming up on my fourth deer season fourth big game season yeah you know what i love it that i don't know shit about it <laughs> i have no problem you know bumbling around it's like when we were in maryland uh, yeah I'll tell you what my like, experience of field with you through uh deer hunting and fishing with you is you're very uh curious and you're very appreciative you're you're a naturalist you're uh inquisitive i think you you thrive from that environment yeah i don't i mean i don't mind being i think sometimes as hunters and anglers we like to think we know everything well we do and we get into these niches where we're good at it sure we get really good at something you're like man i got this dog you got the mule deer guys you got the elk guys yeah. you got the whitetail guys yeah you got the offshore fishing guys you got the inshore guys and these guys pigeonhole themselves and i'm like dude there's such a big world out there man there's so much stuff to experience you're singing my song right yeah now. and that's really one of the reasons i admire you and is because you you do all these different types and you're you're still a student 
You got to be. And I hope to be till the day I die. Exactly. If you're not a student, then... If you ain't I mean, learning, you ain't doing it right. I agree. And um, I, I, I think that we take it for granted sometimes. And even I try not to. I even do it sometimes. Um, but I tell you, when I... Um, when I get up in the morning sometimes and I know I got to go whitetail hunt public land or I got to, you know, it's freaking 10 degrees outside. And yeah, we got a boat across a swamp. Yeah. <laughs> and like all that. And I'm like, you know what? You could be dead. You could be a fucking junkie right now. You, the, the, the fact that you have this opportunity to do any of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, literally every, every day's, Every day's special. Yeah, and every it, every day's something that you pro, you may have not had. Yeah, exactly. And I I think that um, you know, I wish I feel like it's almost like a medicine. I mean, we always complain about every hunter and angler. I don't care who you are. As at one point said, I wish so many. You know, this place is getting crowded or too many people. Yeah, too many people and stuff. And and part of me is like, yeah, I hear you, but also it's such a good medicine. Thank God they're out here. Yeah, yeah, because. I mean, the rights that we have in this country alone is just incredible for that. But uh, another thing I'd say is, and what I was, before we kind of got off on tangent, but these kids that grow up that don't get exposed to this stuff and they go through this type of thing, everybody goes to, most people I'd say, go through some sort of party stage. Hmm. And you get spit on the other end and some people, unfortunately, you know, take it to the extreme like I did and it, it takes you down one road and then a lot of people pop out and they're like okay you know I'm older I've grown up I'm right you know, got to get my shit together right and be an adult and whatever and but uh these kids that come out and don't have that going to and do this have this addiction issues and and whether it could be you know depression anxiety whatever it is you that the fact that my father and grandfather stuff exposed me to all that of all the things i feel like that is probably the one of the if it's not the number one reason it is in the top three of why i was able to really stay the course since this last time yeah sober so you think the outdoors and hunting and fishing was a was a gift that that gave you the the, your sobriety legs honestly it, it's such a huge piece of it and a lot of people say oh well you know what if it got taken away from me well i i have backups i mean the program is always there um but i i, don't, I mean even if you just wheel me out and sit me on the beach you know it's be, it's it's yeah it's just medicine and i'm and that's what i would say to parents you know as raising yeah. young adults I'm curious about what what you're what were your messages to well, to people that might be experiencing some things that you've been through? Well, uh, first I'd tell them that if, um, you know, if just as raising a kid, like by getting them out in the outdoors and getting them in the hunting and fishing, you could literally help save their life one day. Because I can tell you, if well, you have any issues like me, when they get out, I don't, I don't go, I can't, I'm not partying anymore. You know, I don't I don't go out and stay out late. The tree stand is your part. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, but it's that, a valuable uh, tool set to give a young person. No, I agree. I, I think, I mean, we all know the benefits of it besides just 
getting you outdoors, getting you fresh air, teach you the patience, follow through, hard work, determination. If you really want it, you got to work for it. That's right. You know, I mean, a lot of good lessons to be learned out in the woods. Exactly. So, and, and, uh, so I would just, you know, I think that's such a, and your listeners, to be honest, I'd say most of them who have kids, I would imagine they're outdoor folks. I hope so. But I, you know, that's just something to think about. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as, um, advice, I mean, everybody's journey is different. That's right. I can tell you this, don't, do not hold, whether you're someone who's suffering with the addiction or you know somebody, a loved one who's going through it, do not, do not wait to intervene. No matter what way, shape, or form that entails, whether that's an actual intervention, whether that's just calling them up and saying you're there for them, hmm. whether that's, you know, it, you these uh you might not get a second chance yeah you might not get a second chance and uh no matter how much you got to fight uh all you can do is try and give us give that person a chance to to get their their stuff straight and i'm gonna tell you it's the percentages are low but there's no way someone can recover unless they get off the stuff in the first place step one yeah so, um, you know, there's so much support out there now for this. Uh, I think a lot of people are embarrassed. I know, especially as being the user, the addict, it's very embarrassing and very shameful. Sure. When you get to that point. Um, and then it can be for the parents, too. But Totally. He, he, there's no, like... Nobody, nobody wants their kid to be a heroin addict. No. Hell no. But no, they one also, to... no one wants to bury their kid, either. And then be asking yeah. themselves the question, why didn't I step in? Wow. And they may not take, they may say, F you, F this, you know. They probably will. Yeah. If to be honest, they probably will, but it, it's better for you to have tried than. Don't wait. Don't wait to intervene. Yeah, I think people always think, especially the people that are going through it, is they, they're like, it can't be as bad as I, it can't be that bad. Even my parents, you, when they looked at me, they they had no idea. I you told yourself that. Oh yeah, oh I told myself that all the time. But even they told themselves that. Turns out like, it was pretty damn bad. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's bad. It's real bad. So, and um, you know, once they uh, if you have someone that's fresh in recovery, you know, I, I'd say that definitely, you know, push them. Don't. You don't want to harp. You don't want to be some helicopter crazy person when they get out. That's not going to necessarily help them. They got to figure it out themselves too. But I would encourage them to get, you know, the 12-step programs are great. They are proven track record. They work. And also, I don't care if it's a boat ride, taking someone down to go trout fishing in one of the rivers, you know, whatever it is, just get them outdoors. Get some sunshine on their face and get them moving because that the saying – the devil what is it the idle hands of the devil's playground sure that is could not be any more truer than this and that's mm. one of the reasons that why my i think part of a lot of my success is just because i try and keep busy all the time stay busy dis- rediscovering things yeah and i have um issues i still need to work on. i mean courtney will tell you my wife uh i uh i still have very addictive personality and uh, sometimes uh, i don't think it's going away it's probably something you'll live with for the rest of your no, life no it's a management of just you know i can get 
you know, gosh, when the uh, the weather's good for duck hunting or the weather's good for whitetail and the rut's on or whatever it is, I tell you, she'll sometimes she'll be like, yo, you've been gone for like a week. I haven't seen you. Like, come on. Yeah, it's a hel- it's a it's a healthy addiction. Yes, but at the same time, you're still acting like an addict sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm I have guilty a, of that. Oh god, well. I have a crippling addiction to guns and suppressors. <laughs> you got some sweet guns. <laughs> oh, they're fun, but um, I love all that stuff too. But um, but she's really good. She helps keep me very accountable, and uh, I try my best to be. I fall short a lot, but um. Well, I'll tell you what. Well, I think that <laughs> you're doing incredible. And it's hard for me knowing you today and only knowing you today uh, to to believe this story. It's hard. And it's weird, man. It's I think it's a testament to how well you're doing today because it's it just seems like such a foreign thing. It's hard yeah. for me to even picture or believe. Even me, when I think about it, it's a lot of it. Can't believe it was dream. even the same life. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, but uh, it happened. And um yeah, well, I'm just gonna keep uh, keep cruising, just keep trying new things, and just um, being a real <laughs> a real bad hunter, but trying my best. Hey, I think, <laughs> I think you're doing great no. with your with your journey through sobriety and uh, and your outdoor journey. I, I love you know you're four years into big game hunting, and uh, I love seeing you experience that that process as well and everything that comes with it and how appreciative you are of it and how inquisitive you are of it and that you know that's the the roots of our whole friendship so i'm glad you're live today brother um i really appreciate you sharing your story with me no problem i know that's a a vulnerable thing to do to kind of look look back in the mirror you you might not know this but listening to this but we took a break to go eat dinner halfway through this and right before dinner you we were off to the side and you're like man it's kind of hard to yeah. relive some of this stuff it's not that fun it's not real that fun but it's, it's probably important not to forget too no it is what it is and you know what and if people that's the other thing I, you know i mean right off the bat when we met i'm pretty open about it and if someone wants to judge me for it yeah i, I made a lot of mistakes you know but, i was thinking uh you are open about it to the point that we almost we joke about oh, yeah. it and it's yeah. maybe that sounds really distasteful but um i think you use that openness um maybe as like a form of accountability well yeah and it also i mean i want people to know that at this point you're not trying to hide anything uh, yeah and i'm an adult and i have i'm responsible for my decisions mm-hmm. and whether you you know drink a beer or whatever you want to do like i don't want people to feel uncomfortable it's not about my stuff shouldn't involve you know everyone else it's not it's not anyone else's responsibility yeah we don't treat you any different no and i love it i mean yeah i've done everything you can think of sober and not a big deal now but uh so what what are you looking forward to what uh um, what gets you excited when you think about uh life ahead it just well, we're going, like you were kind of mentioned before, we're going to finally take a honeymoon. We're going to Scotland and uh, going to hunt some red stag out there. I so love that'd it. That would be cool. Um, and then, uh, obviously, I'm really looking forward to coming out west more. Uh, and I'd like to uh, – yeah, I, ha- I got some hound dogs you need to Yeah, do. yeah. Hopefully we can kill a lion and then, um, you know, start looking at 
you know, I really want to kill a mule deer. That's like my, you know, that's on my biggest, on my bucket list. We're going to make it happen. Maybe one day I'll be able to just buy a sheep hunt. We'll see. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited to to show you some stuff from my world out west or in Alaska and to hopefully repay you with some experiences oh. from, from my uh, playbook. Um, I know we'll make that happen. But I'm excited for you guys to go to Scotland. I'm excited to be here in North Carolina. This has been an incredible trip. And uh, I'm excited for tomorrow. We better get some sleep because we're, we're yeah. going back out in that Atlantic yeah. Ocean tomorrow morning. Yeah. And, and just uh, before we go, the last thing is if any of you guys out there listening to this want to direct message me on Instagram or something, if you have someone, if you need help or advice, I am more than willing to point you in the right direction. I know a lot of people that can have a lot of good treatment options, um, and I, I got a lot of friends uh, around the country that have been through it. So if any of you guys need help, I mean, I know I'm not a master recovery dude, but I can help point someone in the right direction. You've been around the block. A little bit. And you're willing to help. That's incredibly big of you, and that that's awesome, Waller. I, I hope people do. Yeah. I hope people do because I know that uh, addiction's way more prevalent than we like to believe it is. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, I think there are families closer to us and uh, dealing with this stuff that uh, maybe aren't facing it or aren't aren't uh open about it and i hope well, they just don't know how to approach don't know what to do know. with it well, i hope people do and uh i wish everybody the best in their own journey and uh i'm excited to see you continue yours and everything that the future holds mm-hmm. and more hunting and fishing together that's right coming up quick brother that's right all right thanks so much waller yes, sir appreciate it